the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, big day, big day for the Pro-America Report. Unbelievable, really. Um, We've gone from a a daily radio program to a nationally distributed uh, podcast to a newsmaker on uh, social media and to what I think today is one of the great uh, journalistic coups uh, in the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years. And that is that we put out today a video that explains how I, uh, with a lot of help, found the people who built the gallows on January 6th. And so unbelievable. So welcome to Ed Martin's Pro-America Report, ProAmericaReport.com. Go there and sign up to get uh, regular email updates and longer form writing. It's a sub stack there and I do it. So free, you can go there for free. It doesn't cost you anything, but I, I do a lot of writing there and try to do a longer form writing. Uh, and so you want to check it out. So, but uh, today, how did we get here? Well, I started looking at um, video of January 6th. I don't know, a couple, a year and a half ago. Um, and as I was looking at it, it was mostly and I, I never actually went into the video uh, that the Department of Justice uh, gave us access to as lawyers. I never went into that. I never logged onto that. There were other people on our team that did that work. And so I only started looking at video when the Republicans got control of the U.S. House and they got control of the video. And so I would go in and then Congressman Barry Loudermilk's staff, uh, Elliot at the time, Logan, another guy named William now gave us access to go look. And I started looking and I got familiar. And there's some really talented people who have been looking at this stuff. Julie Kelly is the most famous journalist, but a woman named Haley who was uh, digging into this, a guy named Will, uh, really smart people that looked at a lot of video. And when you go in to look at it, it's like a needle in a haystack, except it's a a a, a um, digital needle in a massive, massive a digital haystack. I mean, just massive. When you go to try to look at five hours on a screen, you're sitting there way, you know, and you can speed it up. You can speed it up to up to 40 times and view it. Anyway, here's what happened. We started looking at certain things, certain aspects of the January 6th events that had not been covered and uncovered. You know, the pipe bomber, I've looked at hundreds of hours of pipe bomber, and there's lots of stories there. It's going to be another story that we get to uh, that I'm going to get to that I've been looking at. But one of them was the gallows and the fake noose, the fake gallows and the fake noose. Why do I say it's fake? Well, it was clearly a prop. 
where it was positioned was just perfectly so you could lean down and shoot a photograph and have the Capitol framed in the background. If you did that too close to the Capitol, if you built this fake gallows too close, because it wasn't a real gallows, it wasn't heavy enough to hold uh, people or anything else. And the noose was a fake noose. And so you said, I said, why is this like this? Why is it? Why, why did this happen the way it happened? Why did this major, major piece of January 6th not get uncovered? It, it, it was covered. Every single Democrat and every select committee included images of the gallows and especially the noose because they wanted to make it sound like the people that were gathered, the MAGA people were extreme and nasty. And of course, it was a lie. But it doesn't matter if a lie is said with enough force and over and over again, it becomes the truth to a lot of people. We've learned that with the narrative machine. So I, I said to myself and to others, what's with this gallows? What's with this noose? And then I have to tell you, I made a mistake. I did not actually identify the vi- the camera. So there's there's dozens and dozens of cameras that are uh, recording that were recording things, uh, uh, events on January 5th and 6th. All over the Capitol, uh, the Capitol grounds, the and the Capitol uh, uh, grounds extend beyond what you would see if you saw the Capitol and the and the green around it. It extends into the neighborhoods surround, uh, uh, surrounding the area. I think it's actually by a mile or so. But anyway, there are lots of cameras, lots of cameras to look at. And I made a mistake. I said I couldn't find the gallows, which were constructed on the reflecting pool uh, towards the mall in front of the Capitol. I couldn't find them because the camera was out. That's what I said. And one of the guys, Williams, said, no, I think you're wrong. The camera's not out. And I said, no, I think it's out. And we went and looked at the very top of the U.S. Capitol, the very, very top. There's a camera. It must be an incredible um, it must be an incredible lens because it looks out over the mall and it has. Uh, or if it's not the lens, it's the the electronic quality of it, right? The the uh, the pixels and all, because you can get a lot out of it. It's very clear. I mean, it's still very far away, the very top of the Capitol. But so I started watching again, and at about six fifteen in the morning on January sixth, I noticed it's dark that something tan moved across the area where we were looking, where the the, the gallows was constructed, and I thought, what was that? And it looked like it could be the, the 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 you know light color of the plywood that was used for this. So I worked backwards. <clears throat> I worked backwards from 6.30 a.m. when I saw this movement. And I went over towards where the movement came from, which is as you're facing the mall uh, on top of the Capitol, it was to the right. And so I worked backwards. And there are, again, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cameras. And I just went on each camera and I logged in a little bit before the time where I saw the uh, movement on the on the uh, reflecting pool. And I'll be darned if we didn't find it. And then we worked back and checked all the cameras. And then we found that there were five people on what I call the fake gallows gang. And they arrived at about 627. They got three of them got out of a van, a white van. Two of them got out of a cab. The three that got out of the van, the big, it's kind of a truck van, lifted out of it this massive structure that was plywood and stacked together with wheels attached to the side. And then they wheeled it across the street, right across Constitution, down the block and across the mall, the edge of the mall, into the reflecting pool at about arriving at about 635, 633. And they started to put it together and it's in the dark at this point. So what you see is not very clear, but it's identifiable. 
The Gallows gang, the, the fake Gallows, fake noose gang started at about 627 when they arrived and they started building on the on the that was when they got out of their car and wheeled this thing over. They started building at about 630, 631 in the dark planned. It was planned. They planned to do it in the dark. They put it together in the dark. Two of the Gallows gang went off to get coffee. One, the ringleader who wears a fedora and a big trench coat and a big scarf and has a walking stick. And so I call him Mr. Coffee. Mr. Coffee and a sidekick go off to get coffee at a coffee shop right across from the FBI building. How about that? And they come back. And now it gets to be light. So they finish constructing this thing, but they get out of Dodge because it's starting to get light. And by the time they're leaving, it's about five or ten after seven in the morning. And you can see them clearly. You can see them clearly. You can see that they're on their phone. One of them's on his phone. You can see that they're walking together. They carry away from the gallows two things that are identifiable. One, a plastic bag, which has the wheels in it. The wheels must have been detachable, probably has a hammer or something. I don't know if there was much hammering. It looks like it was constructed to go together, but we don't know. But they also leave with the crossbeam. And you say the crossbeam, yeah, because the the actual gallows was not identifiable as anything but a platform. It looked like a platform that was on the uh, in front of the reflecting pool until later that morning, 1030, 11 o'clock. They come back and put the crossbar and hang the noose. Now, why? Well, my speculation, we don't know yet. And where we put this video out. And if you, by the way, you can go and you should go. You should go to check it out. Open dot ink slash J6. We have a J6, a special collection of videos, all the videos I got, some of the writings of key people, lots of stuff there, open.ink slash J6. But when you look at this video that we put together, you can see identifiable these people. We need to find them. I don't know who they are. I do know I checked around the neighborhood where they got coffee and someone remembered them, at least seemed to remember them. I I can't say for sure the person wouldn't go on the record, but we got to find these people. And, you know, we can find them and the FBI could find them. And the select committee of Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney and the others could have found them. And they didn't even try. Why? Because the whole thing was a staged operation. At least as to the fake gallows and the fake noose, you can say these weren't MAGA people. These they didn't stay for the MAGA fun. They were people. They looked to me. They looked to me like professors, like middle aged guys. But they're Democrat operatives. I feel confident. And there's by the way, there were people talking about how to do this kind of stuff, protests and agent provocateurs, et cetera. We're going to get into that. So here's what we did. Again, the Pro-America Report started out as a radio show, me talking, and then became, you know, a lot more because we're now a nationally syndicated podcast. We got lots of standalone links. People are paying attention. We have unbelievable guests. But now we just broke, I don't know, the biggest story in, in years as to January 6th. And we're only just starting. We're only just starting. And I partnered up with people. Catherine Engelbrecht is one of the people. She's phenomenal. You know, she uh, she's famous for True the Vote. And she's just she's great. And we paired up with her because I said to her, we we need to uh, we need to build. I, I asked her, I know you have experience with um, with the um, uh, the uh, technology and, and, and uh, from 2000 Mules, the, you know, checking on cell phone, but also video. And her colleague, Greg Phillips, is really the lead guy over there. So you got to check it out. What you need to know is we're breaking the news. Go to my Twitter for your X feed. Go to this website, as I told you, open.inc slash J6. That's what you need to know. It's Ed Martin, Changing America, here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have to do it. We have to do it, especially timely. Uh, talk about gun control and uh, efforts to limit guns, especially in gun ownership, especially after what we've seen in the world. Um, and we wonder about what happened uh, in Israel. You know, they have very strict rules on gun ownership. A lot, a lot of people there in, in Israel, uh, citizens are members of the military and, and had ser- served. So they have some access, but others don't. It's And it's meant to control I think terrorism and such, it didn't work in this case. But uh, in the midst of all that, in America, in uh, three states at least, Colorado, Maryland, and Connecticut, we're seeing uh, legislation that's going into effect uh, and has already a few days ago, 10 days ago. Uh, and I think that's right. Maybe another, maybe some of these will be in different uh, times. But we have as a guest today, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a retired uh, law enforcement uh, officer, been involved at every level, and is now a spokesperson for the National Police association uh welcome uh, sergeant smith how are you hey ed thanks so much for having me to uh to talk about this uh gun con- you know a- additional gun control that we are seeing around the united states it is amazing on uh, nationalpolice.org is the website uh for the organization that uh, sergeant smith is a uh, spokespersoning for and uh and you can find out more about them there uh first of all how hard has it been in your career as well as now your leadership in this organization to fight over i mean when i grew up you know, being a cop, being a law enforcement was like you, you were guaranteed in my life and my family, huge respect. Like, you know, Sergeant Smith in my little town who did, you know, did bring me in when I stole a sign off of a st- side of a, a thing. I get that. And uh, and, you know, Mr. Galapo, who was in the I think the uh, customs, um, these people were revered in my house because they were serving. How as hard has it been the last few years with this defund the police and this negativity to keep morale up? Well, it's a great question. You know, really, since 2014, since Ferguson, we saw this war on cops get ramped up. And then especially for the last three years, we have seen the vilification and the demonization of the American law enforcement officer like never before. And the, the, you know, what's happening is people are retiring early. They're leaving the profession and the ones who stay are, you know, they're beleaguered. Uh, they, they no longer engage in proactive policing and, and things like that. And as people can see now for the last three years, with the influx of crime in this country, this is having a direct impact on your lives, all of our lives in the United States. Yeah, it, I think it's one of the biggest uh, one. That part of it is one of the things that's the, the biggest. Uh, and I'm from St. Louis. So I was I was at Ferguson. I, I was I was there the day after uh, Michael Brown died. I knew all the different folks around it and I knew the lie. It became the media lie was one of the most extraordinary things we I've ever seen in my life. Having been there, I watched the city burn because mm-hmm. these liars came in from out of town and it's insane. But but that, that that's one of the, the worst parts of the fake news is what they did starting then and everything from my Michael Brown and all it was all a playbook that they ran in Ferguson. But let, let me I want to get to that. And I, we could spend the whole show on that. And I get more frustrated than I want to do right now. So I want to ask you, though, and we're, again, uh, Sergeant Smith, uh, who's uh, t- uh, the spokesman for the uh, National Police Association. And 
in Colorado. So Colorado, Maryland, and Connecticut have laws. Colorado, the, the Colorado, they pass all, they got all the weed. Everybody, everybody's stoned all the time now. They passed all these liberal laws. And now they have what? A three-day waiting period for, for gun purchases. And is that, I'm, I'm actually surprised they haven't done more in Colorado to be crazy on this. But tell me about this one. Well, what's happening in Colorado is they are slowly chipping away at the gun rights in Mm. Colorado. Colorado, I just drove through there a day before yesterday. You know, it's a beautiful state. There's lots of hunting and and things. But you're right. The whole state now smells like weed. People are walking around. They're stoned. And now they've decided to instill this three-day waiting period for firearms purchases. Now, we heard about this 10, even 20 years ago, that you needed a cooling off period before purchasing a firearm. The problem is, is this only affects law abiding citizens. People who are going to commit a crime can easily purchase a firearm or steal a firearm. So all this does is frustrate the legal gun owner or the the legal gun purchaser. And at a time now when people are really looking at, oh, maybe I need to ramp up my home security, uh, this really does nothing to enhance anyone's safety. Again, we're talking with uh, Sergeant Smith, and she's a spokeswoman for the National Police Association, nationalpolice.org, in Maryland, so uh, out on the East Coast. And they had a Republican, but he signed some of this, or I think he did. Um, Now they got one of these ones. They tried this in Missouri, the concealed carry, and they try to chip away at that. And they say, well, concealed carry, but we're going to make it so you can't carry in hospitals and stadiums and schools and businesses that uh, sell alcohol. I mean, by the time you're done, you basically have uh, Maryland's taken away the, the concealed carry. And that's exactly it. I mean, l- listen to this list, just a few hospitals, stadiums, schools, government buildings, businesses that have a license to sell alcohol. These are all the places that very often are either going to get robbed or they're going to experience some sort of active shooter situation. And understand this when people carry concealed, uh, it's very likely that they have trained with that firearm, that they have mentally prepared to use that firearm. Aren't those the people that you want in right, and, right. and a school shooting in an active shooter situation? Um, but again, you know, Maryland, uh, when we talk about concealed carry, they really don't want uh, armed and trained citizens to carry. And a lot of these states say, well, let the police take care of that. Nine out of every 10 police departments right now in the United States is short staffed. We know that cops can't be everywhere. And that's why the National Police Association is the most pro Second Amendment police association in this country, because we know cops can't be everywhere at once. All right. Sergeant Betsy Smith is our guest. Um, she herself had a uh, long career in law enforcement and is now the spokeswoman for the National Police Association, nationalpolice.org. Um, last last line on this. I mean, I, I could go into Connecticut. They pass a gazillion things to make it. So you you have to have gun storage. They, have to, they can tell you how to store it, where to store it, all this stuff. But I, I don't want to bother. I want to ask you a different question. It, it feels like if you want to have your Second Amendment, you got to get out of a blue state. I mean, it's not even a blue city anymore. You used to say, well, okay, in Washington, D.C., for example, where I work a lot, you, you go into the district, you're crazy to carry because they'll find a gazillion rules to make your life. You go to jail. And so you don't even bother. I mean, and, and one of the lies about January 6th was that this was a great armed insurrection. Anyone who knew anything about guns wouldn't bring a gun anywhere near. And they didn't. And they didn't. But but mm-hmm. it looks like we're, we're not just segregating from our cities. We're saying don't go to a blue state. I mean, we just listed them. Colorado 
Colorado's a blue state now. Maryland's a blue state. Connecticut's a blue state. You just, if you want your second amendment, you can't be in a blue state. Am I missing it? I spent my entire adult life in the state of Illinois. I was a cop there for wow. 29 years. <laughs> wow. I yeah, moved you, you know. to Arizona. <laughs> oh, you did. Where, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> where I can carry a gun anytime I want to. And that's the thing. In in the state of Illinois, the Illinois State Police has to approve uh, you not just to carry a gun, but to even own one. And they yeah. g- g- they issue you a little ID card with your picture. And a lot of people don't know this. Look at the state of Illinois. Look at the city of Chicago and look at the rate of our uh, yeah. shootings in that in that city and in that state. Clearly, gun control doesn't work. I moved to Arizona where we have constitutional carry. I believe you have that in Missouri as well. Yep, yep we do. Um, and and look at the differences in crime rates. I mean, this is very simple stuff. Uh, Dr. John Lott talks about this all the time, uh, you know, b- beginning with his wonderful book from decades ago, More Guns, Less Crime. People need, but here's the thing, folks. I want you to think about this right now. Everybody's looking at Israel and thinking about what happened. And by the way, Israel is why, yes, Joe Biden, I need my AR-15. But if you've got grandpa's revolver in your underwear drawer, now is the time to get it out, go to the range, maybe get some training. If you don't know that much about firearms, we want armed and trained citizens to be able to protect themselves and, of course, your neighbors and your family and your friends. It is um, great. It's great message. Um, And I'm glad. Thank you for being out there. Uh, Sergeant uh, Betsy Smith. She's the spokeswoman for the National Police uh, Association, uh, nationalpolice.org. You can see uh, their work there and all the different things that they've got. So check out that website. Thanks very much. We'll we'll put you in our Rolodex and have you on again. I appreciate it uh, very much. And yes, Illinois is terrible. It's uh, it's it's unfortunate. But uh, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. All right. We will take a break and we'll be right back. We'll put that up on social media, some links. Uh, She was great. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. If you don't go to thecollegefix.com, you are not smart because when you go there, you will see coverage of the st- stories that are happening across the country. Uh, the, the, sub- the subheading of the College Fix is breaking campus news, launching media careers because they're taking a look at what's happening on college campuses. It's very clever. And they're and they're utilizing student journalists uh, there. And, and uh, we have had as a guest before on the program, Matt Lamb, who's an associate, the associate editor over the College Fix. Again, the collegefix.com and uh it's it, to me it's always fun and uh, energizing because you see these two things one is coverage of what's happening on campus actual news and young people uh stepping up to uh to to write about this and to communicate about this and as they say uh they break campus news and they launch media careers so uh welcome back to the program matt how are you Good, good. Thanks for having me back on. You're welcome. John Parker, Syracuse University, just a day or two ago, uh, writes this up about uh, what's happening at Syracuse University. First of all, who's uh, John Parker? Uh, give me his background before we uh, get into what he saw and what he wrote about. Sure. So John Parker um, has written for us as a student reporter, but he also um, is the chairman of the College Republicans. He's an outspoken conservative on campus at Syracuse and that uh, those opinions, as we're going to discuss, uh, got him into some hot water with the student government. 
There you go. Okay, so he's a student still. He's still a student. He is a he is a student. He's he's got other leadership roles. I'm not surprised. The guy that's writing for you guys is going to be you know uh, involved in uh, lots of things. So, um, all right, what happened to him? Uh, and and where where are we today? So tell me what happened. Um, and uh, this has gone on for a couple of years, I guess. This he started to be. Uh, he, he wrote about it in 2021 for the Syracuse paper. But all right, tell us what what happened to John Parker and what's going on. Sure. So John Parker, uh, I believe he's a junior because in 2021, when he was a freshman, he wrote an op-ed for his student newspaper um, criticizing the uh, what he, he called, quote, the overt sexualization, end quote, of the campus. And he, you know, he said, I concluded calling for, quote, making intimacy intimate again, sort of playing off Donald Trump's right. uh, catchphrase. And, and you know, he, he criticized, um, uh, I think it was a drag show on campus, it this hypersexual culture. So recently, he applied for an open position on the student government. These student governments often have three branches, just like our government. And one of the positions was an open justice seat for their, you know, their version of a Supreme Court. Right. And uh, at first, you know, he, he submitted the paperwork. No one got back to him. He reached out to the chief justice, who I guess he knew. And, you know, he scheduled an interview. There were like one or two questions. Everything was fine. He gets denied this position. No one else applied. And he finds out, you know, through his back, his sources, right? He's an activist. He's a journalist that it was because of his criticism of sexualization on campus from, from two years prior. So it was an open seat. In other words, they, they give these talks at, at schools, at every school, and they say, hey, please get involved. You know, we need people to get involved. There's lots of things. You know, there's plenty of openings and different things. You can be in the ski club. You can be in this and that. So here's a guy who's actually he's a junior. So he's not a he's not a snot nosed freshman who doesn't know where, you know, the Carrier Dome is or whatever they call the Syracuse football stadium. Is it still the Carrier Dome anyway? But he doesn't. it's not. So he's a junior. He's got to try. He's written for the paper. The papers accepted him. Uh, uh, the op-ed he wrote. Um is there any recourse for a guy like him? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I guess he could, uh, you know, he could get foundation for rights and expression involved, uh, you know, he could possibly pursue litigation, but, you know, exactly as you pointed out, he, you know, he was interviewed and they never asked him about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had talked about his different experience in other clubs. He had an interest in the law. Um, he, you know, he liked the idea of this as a non-political body. These are just people who are trying to decide what the student government code says. Um, right. And he also said that m- majority of the people didn't even vote. They weren't even willing to go on on the huh. record. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. I, I looked at what he wrote, at least how he wrote this. So he wrote this up for the College Fix. We're talking again with Matt Lamb, who is the associate editor over at the uh, at the uh, the College Fix. And I, I and I look what he wrote. I looked at what he wrote up. His uh, He's re- referring to his own op ed. And he did have this language. I hate to say it to him. He kind of acknowledges it in his, now as a junior when he's a freshman. He's he put in all this sort of qualifying language. He said he says something like because many people think condemning lewd drag is a criticism of the LBG community overall which of course is political and social suicide they avoid judge so he's acknowledging he's saying i'm not i'm not saying that you know he he went he did the hedges that you're supposed to do if you want to protect yourself and he still doesn't get it so back to my point matt in the world of colleges 
is there, there, there's, can you go to the, I'm not, I don't mean litigation because no kid, no, no young man or woman should want litigation, but can you go to the, 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 um, uh, I don't know, Dean of Student Affairs? Uh, can you go to the university? Is there any reason to think that the university, uh, would back him up? Have they said anything on this? Has it got, has it become a bigger story? I don't believe they've said anything. I'm sure the student government now is really hustling to find someone else to fill the mm. role. I mean, they, they do have, I mean, you could in theory use a title nine complaint. You could use bias reporting. There was a professor out of university of Houston who suggested, I think that right-leaning students use these systems to their advantage when they're, you know, uh, singled out for their political views or for being white or for being a male. So, you know, I'm, I'm not advising him, um, but of course that is something he could do if the systems are in place uh, to, to, to call out bias in any form, which I think it's pretty clear he has suffered bias for his political views, which I'm sure also somewhat his religious views as well, because they touch on uh, issues of, of human sexuality and, and homosexuality and transgenderism. Uh, John, uh, John, we're referring to John Parker of Syracuse University, who wrote a piece which is uh, posted over at uh, the collegefix.com. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, how common is this? In other words, one guy, Parker, has the courage and the interest. He's clearly a fighter. But, you know, I guess is this stuff you guys are seeing all the time and hear about? And um, and maybe it'd say it a different way. Is there any hope that some of this is breaking, that they it's kind of uh, gone too far? Well, you know, it, 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 of course, depends. I mean, I can share when I was at Loyola, I was very critical of DEI, and then there was an open student government position, and all of the questions they asked me about it, I think, were about diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually a student government president, I believe, at Florida State a few years ago, who was a Catholic, and in a private group chat for the Campus Catholic Club or Newman Center, he said something, I think it was in 2020, about, you know, look, we, we can be concerned about racial issues, but, you know, Black Lives Matter, they, they don't like the nuclear family. They promote, you know, LGBT things that we as Catholics, you know, we can't, we can't be supportive of. And that eventually got him kicked off of the student government. It's a public university, so he sued, and I think he won some damages, and I guess he won his position back. So, but I think this is going to keep happening, and, and like you said, it's, probably happening a lot more than we know of it takes someone like john parker who is willing to be an activist he is already willing obviously to share his opinion to share these beliefs and make this known but i assume it happens all the time on uh, in student government yeah i tell you one of the best things about uh him in my mind the college fix uh and the collegefix.com is a website is just get people seeing that they can um have the uh, I don't know if it's solidarity or the courage to see a guy like Parker out there and you guys talking about it. So that people think, Hey, I'm not alone out here because that's the feeling that is sort of encouraged. So, uh, Hey, Matt Lamb, thank you. As always, Matt Lamb is the associate editor uh, over at the college fix. Again, the college fix.com. I'll put John Parker's um, uh, essay up on social media and we'll talk again soon, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break. Everybody we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, 
Here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Dobbs decision, which reversed Roe v. Wade, is not the end of the pro-life movement. It's only a new beginning. There are still many battles to be fought and won to secure dignity for every human life. Dobbs did not make abortion illegal. It simply returned the issue of abortion back to the states and to our elected officials. Thankfully, many states have stepped up to the plate. 24 state legislatures have taken action to protect unborn life since Dobbs was handed down. 18 have passed near-total abortion bans, while another six have passed heartbeat laws to protect the unborn around six weeks. Eight of these 24 laws have seen legal challenges that temporarily block their enforcement. All of these state efforts are wonderful to see, and we should celebrate them. But let's not forget that there are many injustices that life-affirming Americans have a duty to correct. Just a few months ago, the Democrat-controlled Maine Senate struck down a proposed amendment aimed at stopping the trafficking of aborted baby body parts within that state. In truth, only a few states have such legislation on the books, including both solidly red states like Alabama and South Dakota, as well as some less conservative states like Michigan. There are two excellent reasons why pro-lifers should be sponsoring legislation to stop this brutal blood money from flowing in our states. First, the sale of unborn children's bodies for medical experimentation is a moral evil, and it should not be allowed in a civilized society. Second, every state legislator and governor should be forced to go on the record as to whether he will stand against this evil. It should not be controversial to say that human bodies should be treated with respect. Incentivizing abortion providers by letting them sell the bodies of any children they kill, it's not good for anyone. The fight to affirm life in America is still going on in this post-Roe world. History is watching us to see if we will be brave enough to stand on the side of righteousness. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, winding things down, let me say it's time to start celebrating the sesquicentennial of America. That's the 250th anniversary of America. And you say to yourself, wait a second, Ed, 1776 is not 250 years ago. No, that's right. 1773 is, though. And December 16th of 1773, so that's 250 years ago in a few months, Boston Tea Party, Boston Tea Party. That is the beginning, and it should be the beginning of the the celebrations that will run all the way through 1776 into 1777, depending on what date you want to celebrate. But there's lots to go. But the starting point should be the Boston Tea Party. So my challenge to you all is to get ready to start the sesquicentennial celebration, 250th anniversary of America's success in choosing liberty over tyranny in choosing freedom over control from a far-off country, from a far-off government, choosing we the people over a monarchy. Lots of things, 
and lots of things you can celebrate. I'm, I'm a big Sam Adams guy. I'm a big fan of Sam Adams and his uh, incredible life. And, and uh, I've admired how he did a lot of things. And so, you know, if you're, if you're a Sam Adams guy, you, you're very interested in how uh, the, the um, marking uh, the, the development of, uh, of language, of the of the Minutemen, of the use of the terms around liberty and the Liberty Tree and all these kinds of things that happened in our founding era. There's a lot to celebrate, a lot of extraordinary people, a lot of extraordinary events. But I would argue the Boston Tea Party, December 16th, 1773, that should be our starting point. And we can go 250 years back, celebrate that date, and then go forward. And there's plenty of incredible, memorable, serious uh, ways we can mark 250 years and celebrate and celebrate all the good stuff, all the things that were happening, all the ways that people came together. There were religious differences. There was cultural differences. There was lots of things. And they came together and they had a vision for living and being and working. And, you know, at the heart of the whole thing, very early on, were things like property rights, that became the central part of uh, of the of the sort of um, American uh, ethos. You hear me talk about it a lot. In the next couple of weeks, there's a a big um, a big uh, conference up in uh, Virginia, I think it is, uh, of people focused on the patent system, protecting the patent system, because the patent system says if you build it, if you invent it, if you come up with it, you should benefit. You shouldn't have to ask the king, or you shouldn't have to ask the the, the Führer. You shouldn't have to ask the Parliament. You shouldn't have to ask anybody. If you make it, if you invent it, you should have the ability to use it and profit from it in an American system for a while, not forever. At a certain point, the, the technology needs to be loosed in and, and freed up so other people can use it, but you should be able to benefit from it. That has been a single uh, focus of the American dream, the American experience, the American experiment since the earliest days. Sam Adams and the guys were talking about property rights. They were talking about the tax act because of what it was doing very early on. And so I'm, I'm my, my argument, we can make a list. I was having this uh, a debate with a friend of mine who uh, is uh, working on a book and he's, the book is going to mark the sesquicentennial with lots of uh, specific things over the last 250 years that have happened almost like a, uh, a, a, um, a, a, um, an event or a, a, an idea or a success in America for every day of the year. And he's working on that book. And so he's telling, I was saying, man, you, we could make a list. We got a lot of very, very cool, a lot of really interesting uh, things that we can celebrate. And Mark, when you talk about sesquicentennial, so that's my pitch. The 1776 commission that Trump set up, they moved off um, the government pages because Joe Biden, of course, came in and, and immediately shut it down. But uh, Dr. Larry Arn, who is the head of Hillsdale College, he uh, took he was chair, I think, at the time he stayed chair. And that is now a nonprofit uh, private uh, entity, a commission that's actually still working on these issues, still working on highlighting the history, still working on finding ways to celebrate. And uh, my point is only that, I, you know, you can't really have a tea party in this era. I wouldn't counsel in America having a big tea party gathering. Just think that the the environment is a little different, you know, in terms of uh, large gatherings in the public right now. And I don't know that you can trust the law enforcement or the Antifa or anybody. So I wouldn't do that. But what I would do is find ways to celebrate and mark that holiday and understand it. A holiday, that's the wrong word, but it, it, it mark that uh, commemoration, commemorate the day and the date um, that the tea, Boston Tea Party occurred and what happened. Who did it? How they did it, you know, at that time there was, I I believe it is proven that the the people who dressed up as Indians, as Native Americans, went out onto the ships to dump the tea. And by the way, they dumped the tea. They didn't damage the ships. They didn't damage any other property. They just did it to the tea. 
But I think it's proven that they dressed uh, in their outfits, their 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 uh, uh, Indian garb. They did that in the uh, they changed in their clothes after a meeting uh, that had been called. And, and they were in the the uh, ante room or whatever you call it, the front room of a publisher of one of the weekly or daily papers in Boston. I forget that the name of the publisher. And even if I forget the name of the paper, my point is that, uh, that the, the support for this uh, effort was uh, grassroots, but it had leaders of different types involved, including publishers, a publisher. Of course, at that time in Boston, there would have been a dozen or two dozen papers, newspapers and broadsheets and things that people uh, produced that were, uh, uh, that were passing the word. It's, it's the roots uh, of the circular letter, uh, the, the, the the committees of correspondence that um, Sam Adams set up where they were writing letters to each other. And the letters were called a circular letter. The letter was sent from one to the other and onto the other and onto the other. It circulated. It was a circular letter, uh, which um, it was hugely popular and effective. A huge insight into uh, sort of um, uh, messaging and, uh, you know, uh, back to my early segment on the show, talk about the power, power of the narrative machine. Uh, Sam Adams was setting the narrative. He was defining the issues. He, in fact, he did not participate in the Tea Party, in the actual Tea Party itself. And uh, the description in one of the biographies was that he was already thinking about how to capture the message around the issues and around what was taking place. So very cool. All right. That's all I've got for today. Thank you to Mason Mohan and Ryan Hype for producing the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. I'm Ed Martin. We'll be back tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.